Psalm 31 is uh, titled, The Lord, a Fortress in Adversity, to the chief musician of Psalm of David. Uh, let me just read to you from uh, the Bible. No, this is not the Bible Knowledge Commentary. This is easily titled the Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown Commentary. It says, uh, The prayer of a believer in deep time of distress. In the first part, cries for help are mingled with expressions of confidence. Then the detail of griefs engrosses his attention till in the assurance of strong but submissive faith, he rises to the language of unmingled joyful trust and exhorts others to like love and confidence towards God. So starts out, um, you know, there's, you know, we need to trust the Lord. We need, need help, Lord. And there's some confidence there. And then kind of in the middle of this psalm, you'll see just as he's writing, he kind of gets overwhelmed uh, and then comes out of it towards the end. And you start to see like light at the end of the tunnel. But, you know, uh, it's been said that, you know, David was a bipolar dude, you know, and you see that in the Psalms, you know, where it's like, ah, you know, just at the depths of despair. And then, and then, woo! Make a joyful noise, let's clap, and oh, whatever, ah, you know, and just up and down and up and down. In one psalm, you'll see it go, and we're going to see it that way uh, tonight. And so uh, verse 1 says, in you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. So verse 1 starts out with trust, and then if you look all the way down, is it verse 24 is the last verse? Uh it ends with hope. So starts with trust, ends with hope, and we're going to see uh, repeated throughout this text the word trust uh, probably about five different times. I didn't do a count, but I highlighted it every time, and I think it was like five times, just trust. Just, I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. And that is that is the theme of the Christian life. And I remember when we started Psalms uh, a year ago just about, um, just saying that and speaking that to this circle here and just how uh, things that we were going through as a church, it's like, we just got to trust the Lord. We just got to trust the Lord. Uh, Kevin was beginning to teach Habakkuk about that time. And uh, I remember Habakkuk was like, Lord, what is going on? Don't you see the wickedness of your people here? Don't, what are you, aren't you going to do something? Aren't you a God of justice? I mean, come on, Lord, come on. And, and the Lord says, hey, you know, hold on a minute. I'm going to do something that when you finally... You, know, you don't know what's going on, and you need to just trust me, because when you see it, your ears are going to tingle. And, uh, and, and here's the theme of it all, Habakkuk, or old Hab, as I used to, no, I'm kidding. Uh, here's the theme of it all, the just shall live by faith. In other words, we've got to trust the Lord. Christians have got to trust God. We've got to rest in God. We've got to hope in God. You've heard me say it before, but every time I see these word, the word trust, I think of the missionary out in the unreached people group who was working among the natives of the jungle and he was trying to translate a Bible into their language. And as he's coming across uh, the words uh, for trust and believe, uh, he didn't know how to translate that into their language. And so he's out one day in the jungle, walking through the jungle with the natives and they've got machetes and they're chopping their way through the jungle and uh, just exhausted. And finally they come to this giant, tree laying across the ground and one of the natives hops up on the tree and just sprawls out on this tree and just oh, just resting and he said 
That's the word. That, what's the word for that? Because I'm going to use that for this verb, trust. And that's what it is. It's just, I got nothing. I got no energy left. I'm, I got nothing. And all I can do is just, just crash on you, Lord. And so uh, maybe that's just a good word afresh for us tonight. And you, Lord, I crash. I crash on you. I put my trust in you. Never, let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Uh, trusting speaks of taking refuge. And there's so many ways that we can uh, ponder that with word images and pictures. I just uh, saw a video yesterday on Facebook that Hungary has become a major refuge for people fleeing Syria. And uh, I've gone to Hungary a couple times, and so that kind of has a special spot in my heart. Uh, but that is a major journey, a major journey. Uh, and people are fleeing you know, ISIS, and they're fleeing the Civil War. And um, sadly, I heard that it was August 30th, Hungary was shutting their borders and putting up a wall. And, um, and as you watch, just the people are getting there uh, mostly by foot, walking on a railroad track. And you, know, you just see these hopeless people, and they're just trying to get uh, into, into a hopeful situation. And they need refuge. They need something to be able to hope and trust in. And, and um, you know, we just need to be praying for the Syrians, you know, that they would be able to come to the Lord and find him as a refuge. Uh, that, you know, so many times when you're a refugee, it's associated with humiliation, you know, because you are, you got nothing. You got a, maybe a bag of clothes, you know, or you got your kids, whatever you can push in like some wheelbarrow that you found. Or, you know, uh, it's, it's humiliating. It's degrading. Uh, you're starving. You're terrified. You're weeping. You're in one pair of clothes that you got. Uh, and David is crying out as a refugee, let me never be ashamed. You know, if, as I trust in you, let me not be humiliated. Deliver me in your righteousness, the verse says. And I always like to look at the lexicons in the original language and and kind of paraphrase it. Uh, and how I found this to say is, help me escape in your justice. Help me escape in your justice. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we were in Psalm 22, uh, the Psalm of the Cross. And it says, they cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. And can anyone think of a time where you trusted in the Lord and he put you to just humiliation, and you came out of that just, I will never Christ again. <laughs> you know, um, I've been in humiliating situations in the name of Jesus, and I came out of it. Uh, all I can do is hope in Jesus. <laughs> That's all I've got. Um, uh, one man wrote, this verse uh, expresses the general tone of the rest of the 23 verses. In you, O Lord, I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in your righteousness. Verse 2, bow down your ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be my rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. Come down and condescend to me. Come down to my level so you can hear me out. Just got back from uh, Russell and Laney's uh, open house over at the new school over here. And um, we're in there with... Uh, uh, we're in the dual immersion program, so my kids will be learning Spanish, and we're in there, and, and I got to meet these little uh, Spanish-speaking kids, Hispanic kids, and I was just like trying, it's mission field, right? I mean, I'm like, what's your name? And, and you know, this little shy little boy, and I had to get down there, and Alan, you know, oh, Alan, hey, you know, and just, Lord, come down to our level here so you can hear us out, God, and, and, and deliver us speedily. 
be our rock of refuge. Again, uh, I'm, I'm highlighting here all these repeated phrases like refuge. You're going to see that quite a few times. Um, refuge, you can think of the fortress. You can think of uh, David would take refuge in mountains and in rocky crag formations and caves. And just the Lord is that to us. He's a rock of refuge, a fortress of defense to save me. Lately, I've been thinking about that word fortress because we've seen it a few times in the Psalms, and I'm reminded of my grandpa, Gramps, Grandpa Khan. Uh, and in World War II, he was a B-17 bombardier, uh, flew 37 missions uh, over in Europe, over Germany. Um, he uh, was uh, actually a squadron leader, so everyone would drop bombs on his command and flew on D-Day, and uh, he's just one of my heroes, you know. And uh, But he was in a B-17, uh, which was called the Flying Fortress. And uh, oh, I love the B-17 to this day. I love to go to air shows and get up in there. and Just amazing. But uh, when you look at the science behind this, sh- this ship, this plane, um, there were 10 men and there were 13 guns. And uh, just every angle, underneath there was this little ball turret guy and and he'd have to cram in there and, you know, and uh, he'd get the guys coming from below and he'd spin around and up on top. There was a turret all around and my grandpa was in the nose where there's glass and he had this like joystick thing that had two 50 cal machine guns. And, you know, that, and just all around, just guns on every side, every, there was coverage everywhere. And then when it would take these hits, uh, it would, it would be able to withstand like radical damage. You can see pictures of um, just the front end blown off of a of a plane, and you can see like wings missing, all the like wings, back wings missing, and things like that. And uh, they called it the Flying Fortress. It was something that I've done a lot of reading on it, and uh, the men trusted in this thing. They trusted that this ship was going to get them home. It's just they had confidence in it. And David, in the same way. You've got you to think of all the illustrations that you can, you know. Uh, <laughs> in the same way, uh, David, he trusted in the Lord. The Lord had proved himself faithful. David could look back at the history of his people and see how God was working. And he was able to say that this, this God is my rocky crag that I can hide in. He's a fortress of defense to save me. Verse 3, for you are my rock and my fortress, uh, there it is again, fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. So again, the idea is a rocky mountain stronghold. When you go to Israel today, uh, you go to a place by the Dead Sea called Masada. Um, Masada, Barb, you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, Masada was uh, Herod's fortress that he built over by the Dead Sea. Herod was a panicky guy. He was always afraid someone was going to come and take his throne from him. So he had all these different fortresses. And today you go to one called Masada. It was built on top of this giant cliff all the way around. The only way up was one snake trail all the way up. And, uh, and he had stored up um, years and years and years worth of food. He'd engineered to where the one inch of rain that the desert would get a year, it would all funnel through all the canyons and into his cistern. And uh, somehow... Uh, the Zionist Jewish zealots uh, in 70 AD were able to capture this thing and they made it their fortress and they held out for a couple years from the Romans who couldn't take it from them. The only way the Romans could get it from them was by using Jewish slaves 
to build a giant ramp all the way up this cliff, uh, and they used it to bring up their uh, battering ram all the way up. And uh, a really sad story is the Jews decided, you know, it's better that we all just die than to let the Romans take us as slaves and abuse our wives and stuff. And so they made a pact to uh, all the men would go home and kill their families, and then ten men from the men would kill the men, and then uh, the final man killed himself. And so when the Romans finally got through, uh, nobody was alive except for the Jewish leader's wife and two kids. Uh, isn't that interesting? But um, very sad. But all of these fortresses, Masada, uh, the Herodian, um, you know, David knew fortresses well. And, uh, and he knows the Lord is that fortress. So um, for your namesake, lead me and guide me. And this is a phrase that we'll see in this psalm again. We see it in Psalm 23, the shepherd psalm. Uh, where David would say, lead me in paths of righteousness. And then what does he say right after that? For your namesake. So this is something that, as at Calvary, we go through the word, right? We go through the scriptures. And so we want to get the totality of theology and doctrine. We're going to, you know, hopefully by the end of my life, we'll make it Genesis through Revelation at least one time, but not at this rate. But, uh, you know, we're able to see, like, you know, that, that the, the end of everything is for the glory of God. Like the end of it all. And that doesn't mean that God's not working other great things and he's not benevolent to us, uh, that he's not you know, moving and acting on our behalf and all of that. But all of that is to the end that he's glorified, magnified, he's famous. Uh, and so we're seeing that time and time again in the Psalms. We'll see it again in this one. That uh, he's our fortress and he will lead us and he will guide us and it will be for his fame, for his name's sake. Um, verse 4, pull me out of the net which they've secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. Is that sounding familiar as we're going through the Psalms? That's like regularly seen that the, the enemy's got a net or they're digging a pit. And, uh, and David would constantly cry out, keep me out of the pit. Protect me from their grid work of treachery. Um, verse 5. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. Anybody's mind go anywhere as we read that verse? To the cross, right? We've got, uh, you know, Jesus would quote this scripture, Into your hand I commit your spirit, uh, my spirit. And Luke twenty three forty six says, And having said this, he breathed his last. So Jesus' last words from the cross we're from Psalm 31. Uh, so pretty cool. Jesus is the true and better David. Uh, he's the fulfillment of King David. He's the son of David who will rule on the throne of David. And um, it says, uh, you've redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Or you've bought me. You've paid the ransom price for me. You've paid for my deliverance. And that's the gospel. Here as New Testament Christians in 2015 Prineville, we can say that. You have redeemed me. God has redeemed Rory Rogers from the slavery block of sin and uh, bondage and death. And he bought me. He bought me. He redeemed me with the ransom price of not gold, not silver, not perishable things, not greenbacks, but with what? His blood, his precious blood. The God of truth has redeemed us. Verse 6, I have hated those who regard useless idols, but I trust in the Lord. 
So I don't know if Ron got the song uh, tonight from this scripture that he sang, no, but uh, how'd that song go about idols and trust in the Lord? Yeah. We will have no other gods. Lord, break the power of idols. I mean, I, I just loved it because I was like, man, it's, it sounds like he went and read it, you know, because uh, uh, David says, I hate those that regard useless idols. They're my enemy is what the language is speaking of. Um, and when you read what those nations would do, um, you know why that it was not pleasant. Uh, it was brutal, um, child sacrifice and sex slavery and, um, human sacrifices and paganism. Um, and so the, the warfare was, was horrible and the treatment of people and it robbed God of glory. And David was able to say, but I trust in the Lord, um, he says that these are useless idols. They are false and they're empty and they're meaningless. Uh, Jonah would say in chapter 2, verse 8, this is the Jonah from the Jonah and the whale. Uh, he says, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. And so when you kind of think, oh, man, David, you hate those that regard idols? I mean, well, you know, that's a little harsh, my brother, you know. Um, but Jonah would say those who go and they're worshiping and they're trusting and worthless, useless pieces of rock and pieces of wood that don't do anything but they're demonic in nature, um, they are willingly forsaking the mercy of the Lord. And, uh, and so doesn't mean we don't pray for them. doesn't mean we don't reach out to them. Even David, you know, in the Psalms, we've seen his heart for the nations um, and our hearts for those nations as well. Um, so notice, they forsake their own mercy, Jonah says. But look at our next verse in verse 7. I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy. So right, right after that, David said, I, I'm going to trust in the Lord and I'm going to have mercy. Uh, I need mercy. Does anybody here need mercy at all? Um, holy smokes. I wish I didn't have to tell you guys that your pastor needed mercy, but big time. <laughs> I need mercy from the Lord. Uh, the Lord's considered our troubles, or my trouble, to make it personal. You've known my soul in adversity. Verse 8, you've not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. You've set my feet in a wide place or a broad place. God gives us stability to stand on. And then again, mercy. So I'm highlighting all these mercy, mercy. Verse 9, have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief. Yes, my soul and my body. And so you can kind of start seeing that he's slumping back into just kind of being overwhelmed with all that's going on in his life. Um, needing mercy. He's in trouble. Uh, the last uh, two verses back said, the Lord knows my adversity. And here I am. I'm in trouble, Lord. You know it. My eye wastes away with grief. David would say that. A few different times in the psalm, just like the, the weeping and the tears and the sleepless night. And man, he's got the bloodshot eyes, right? Um, and uh, my soul and my body. Um, we looked at that. Well, let's look at verse 10 real quick. For my life is spent with grief, my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. And so this is re reminding me of our psalm on Sunday, which was Psalm 32. And how David was saying, man, when I'm, when I'm in sin, iniquity, unrepentant sin, transgressing God, God's hand is heavy upon me. I can't rest, you know, um, my bones are breaking, you know, my soul is just like, 
my vitality is like the desert drought of summer. Um, you know, and David appears to be in a little bit of that place. He's, he's seeing his iniquity and his sin, and it's causing his strength to fail. His bones are wasting away. Verse 11, I'm a reproach among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors. And I'm repulsive to my acquaintances. Those who see me outside flee from me. And um, man, just the, uh, to think of David in a place like that, um, you know, there's times that we're in places like that. I mean, it, it's maybe a bit rare, you know, where all of our neighbors hate us and, and you know, um, but man, I think of Bob Langfield who pastored Calvary Lapine um, two pastors ago. Now Chad's down there and I don't know what happened, but man, just the church situation was in a place where he's walking down the street and people are screaming obscenities at him and hating him, you know, and then hating his kids and screaming at his kids at the school. And, and, um, you know, I think of, uh, Aaron posted something the other day about, uh, 40 pastors or something that have visited the Ashley Madison adultery webpage. Oh, well, that's, there's another zero on that. (laughs) Um, you know, and just, uh, he mentioned a, a, a familiar name just that's, that's in the media and stuff. And, you know, just to think what their family's going through right now, um, because of his sin and, um, and you think of the, the blog trolls, they call them, you know, that are just like, now it's time for me to destroy this person, you know, and, and just forgetting their own sin, you know, and just, there's people out there that are reproaches to their enemies and, um, their neighbors and, you know, can't can't show their face anymore. Um, there's times I feel like that going through this town, um, honestly. And um, it's, it's crazy to be able to somewhat teeny tiny bit relate to David here. Um, but, uh, but who does this ultimately remind us of? I'm a reproach among my enemies, especially my neighbors. I'm repulsive to my acquaintances. Those who see me outside flee from me. Jesus, right? Uh, this is this is Jesus. <laughs> uh, he's the he's the one that uh, has really gone through this, and it wasn't because he visited no Ashley Madison website. He was righteous. He was holy. He was pure. He was only loving. He was only sacrificial. He was only a servant. He'd only done good heroic things. And and Isaiah fifty three says, um, Shannon says it's so good to have you back. Will you read? verses 3 through 5 here of Isaiah 53. So um, just recently, Lindsay showed me a YouTube video of um, a Jewish guy in Jerusalem uh, interviewing people out on the street, has a microphone, and the rabbis have blocked and, and uh, forbidden the reading of Isaiah 53. And so, uh, so this guy is having Jews read Isaiah 53 from the prophet Isaiah. And, uh, and as they're reading it, um, you know, he's, he's like, who is this talking about? And they said, it's talking about the Messiah. And, uh, and so he says, okay, so um, uh, there's certain things that he was talking about that, that cause him to, has to fit into the, the temple period there. He says, so who, who would that fit? And then he says, have you ever considered that Jesus fits this picture? And just to watch uh, and, and the way it was, was they were, they were confessing that like, this seems to fit, you know, so maybe Jason, you could kind of search for that, um, 
that video perhaps, and uh, maybe we can see it, but it's just really cool to be able to see verse 11, and we could read it from David. I'm going to reproach among all my enemies, especially among my neighbors, and so on and so forth, and to be able to say this is Jesus is who it's talking about ultimately. Um, Verse 12, I am forgotten like a dead man, out of mind. I'm like a broken vessel. Um, or as Psalm 88.4 says, Tabitha, you want to read this? And so when we, you know, ponder that, um, I, I'm thinking of uh, things that I've heard recently of like in Cambodia in the 70s and the genocide that happened there. We may be having someone visit us from Cambodia this um, month, perhaps, uh, who escaped and now goes to Calvary Corvallis. Um, but, you know, just bodies that are just, you know, that we think of the Holocaust. We think of, um, you know, um, I'm reading an account of the Pacific War and, and just, you know, the slaughter there and just people in, pushed into pits, basically mass graves, you know, and just like nameless, memoryless, you know, just a pile of bones essentially, you know. And David's just saying, that's, that's where I'm at right now, Lord. I'm, I'm like some guy in a mass pit that, you know, no name, no memory, no, you know, just, that's it. It's over, you know, hopeless, right? Um, I'm forgotten like a dead man. Uh, verse 13, for I hear the slander of many, fears on every side, while they take counsel together against me. They scheme to take my life. Reminding you of anybody? Again, Jesus, right? Matthew 26, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the people assembled in the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. And then verse 59 says, Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. Again, Matthew 27, 1, When morning came, all the chief priests and elders and the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. Who is this ultimately talking about here? The son of David, they would call him, uh, who was plotted against by the chief leaders uh, of of the religion of the day. Um, but verse 14, now he's going to start coming back up again. Okay, We were in a bit of a pit there. Literally, he said, I'm in a pit. Uh, verse 14, but as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. And guys, this is what will always bring you out of the, you know, out of that pit. And, and you're needing some, some elevation. You're needing some edification. You're needing some hope. Just be verbalizing this, you guys. Just be, Lord, I don't even know it all. I don't even understand it all, but I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God, and we're going to watch him uh, ascend. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies, verse 15, and from those who persecute me. Um, man, and as you start coming up, you'll be able to make confessions like the begin, beginning part of this verse. My times are in your hand. Lord, I trust you. I know you've got my first day, my birthday, you know, and, and you know my death day. You know my end day. My days are numbered. Uh, all throughout the scriptures, Joe 14, 5. Josh, just read this one here. And so, you know, this is kind of a, a, a new way. Many verses kind of speak to this, but it's interesting that, like, here's what the Lord has set for us. We're not going past that. God in his sovereignty has set that. And yet, interesting that, you know, we have things like that where... Um, even wicked King Ahab was told, you're going to die. And he humbled himself and he pled with the Lord. And the Lord said, I'm going to give you 15 more, you know. 
And uh, so just really cool to see the relationship between God and man there. But, um, but, you know, the Lord has our days numbered. Our days, our times are in his hand. I was just listening on my way down to soccer pictures um, to Caleb, and uh, the host of the show was um, just trembling because uh, one of his coworkers and longtime people on air with him had died. And I don't listen to it enough to even know who he's talking about, but one of the Caleb um, show hosts uh, had died today. And so... You know, just to hear him confessing Christ and trusting the Lord and just the sorrow on the radio tonight um, and that the Lord had appointed those limits. He couldn't, the Lord was in charge of that. But not only that, all throughout the Gospels in the life of Jesus, um, and I don't have it up there because I just want to make it real quick, uh, Luke 9.51, it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. So he'd been ministering in Galilee, and uh, it was the appointed time. Remember before he'd say, it's not my time, it's not my time. Don't go tell anybody about this, it's not my time. Now he says, it's my time. And, and the language speaks of setting his face like flint to get to Jerusalem to die. And from that point on in Luke, he's all about getting to Jerusalem to lay his life down uh, for a ransom. Uh, John 7, he says, my time's not yet come, but your time is always ready. And then later on it says, no one laid hands on him because his hour had not yet come. Again in John, Father, save me from this hour, this purpose I came to this hour, um, so on and so forth. Time and time again, uh, finally the prayer of John 17, Father, the hour has come, glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. So man, if, you don't, if you're not a highlighter, if you are a highlighter, this is a good verse, this section there, my times are in your hands. John Calvin writes, the humble believers fearlessly commits himself to God. His solace is to know that his heavenly father so holds everything in his power, so rules by his authority and will, so governs by his wisdom that nothing can befall him except what he determines. So there is that aspect of God's sovereignty that nothing's going to happen except what God determines. And there's also the aspect that we look both ways before we cross the street, because, you know, uh, because, all right, like God has given us some responsibility here in the midst of it all. And, uh, and so, um, but I love that, that, you know, um, especially when you look at world missions uh, and when you look at spending your life for the kingdom, um, that, I mean, you're not going to go until the Lord wants you to go. And, uh, and so you can go into those hostile situations trusting God. Um, David Platt did an incredible study on that with incredible testimonies of people being beaten and persecuted. And, I'm not going to die unless God wants me to die. So go ahead and, you know, and then, uh, and then he ends up getting released, you know, so it's good logic. If you ever getting beat up, um, there was more to it than that, but verse 16, make your face shine upon your servant. Save me for whose sake, for your mercy's sake. So that's for the glory of God. Verse 17, do not let me be ashamed, O Lord, for I've called upon you. Let the wicked be ashamed. Let them be silent in the grave. Let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak insolent things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you've laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you, in the presence of the sons of men. And so, 
uh, man, don't you just see kind of him just back up again and just encouraged as he's trusted the Lord and he's remembering God's goodness in those times and man, so good to remember God's goodness in our times of despair. It'll bring us up. Um, all that goodness is prepared for those who trust in you and it has the idea here of confessing the Lord because he's trusting in the presence of the sons of men. Uh, and so just public trust in the Lord uh, brings prosperity, brings beauty. Verse 20, you shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of man. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion or a shelter or a house from the strife of tongues. Uh, I'm reminded as I read that of the, the verse we read, didn't get to get into it on Sunday, but Psalm 32, 7 you are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. And I'm reminded when I read that of Corey Ten Boom. Many of you probably are too. You know, the, the uh, Jewish gal who was um, put in the concentration camp and uh, suffered, ex- you know, her sister was killed in the camp. And um, if I'm remembering correctly, it's been so long that this psalm was uh, just a refuge for her in the midst of the uh, the pain. In fact, she wrote a book called Hiding Place. Um, in fact, later on, um, she was uh, speaking at an event, and one of the German soldiers uh, who had uh, been guarding her was there and came and asked for forgiveness, and she was able to forgive him there at that conference. So lots of neat things from that, but a um, little rabbit trail. Uh, Verse 21, blessed be the Lord. So just a time of worship and glorifying God here. Blessed be the Lord, for he has shown me his marvelous kindness in a strong or fortified city. So he's in that refuge there. Uh, For I said in my haste, I'm cut off before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplication when I cried out to you. So if you ever feel like that, like, you know, kind of in the times of despair, like you quickly say like, ah, it's over, it's over. There's nothing left to live for. There's nothing left to hope for. It's all over. It's all shot. It's all, uh, I'm in the pit. I'm like a bunch of dead. I'm just, you know, ah, uh," you know, (laughs) and uh, just despair. And and then later on, he brings you through and you're like, okay, I was a little bit hasty there. Here I am. I'm breathing. I'm I'm whole, (laughs) you know, like my belly is full. Oh God, you are good. Okay. Uh, I was a little hasty there. Uh, you heard the voice of my prayers when I cried out to you. And hopefully we'll begin to learn how faithful he is. Verse 23, Oh, love the Lord, all you saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Uh, proud person there speaks of roaring arrogance like surging water. Um, the Lord preserves the faithful and repays the proud person. Verse 24, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Uh, and so I hope you guys kind of saw just the, okay, I'm struggling here. I'm going to trust in you, Lord. I can't do it all. You know, and then, uh, woo. And then the end, he's blessing the Lord. He's telling the saints to love the Lord, that God is faithful, and we can be courageous in these times of trial that we're in. Let him strengthen our heart. Um, and, and we will hope in the Lord. And that word hope means wait for the Lord and linger in the presence of the Lord. 